God bless you, everyone. Love Talk Radio. Ah, cats. Jump back and dust off your Cadillac. You're listening to Respect for Life with your host, Brother Leroy, on the Keys Network. Blog Talk Radio, baby. Act like you already knew. Ow! God bless you, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, the first-class citizens of the world. God bless you all. We thank you for joining us on blogtalkradio.com, the Keys 107 Network. I'm Brother Leroy, and I'm thankful to the Most High for blessing us with another day on this good earth, another day to do some good deeds for ourselves, our families, for our communities, and for humanity having a positive mental attitude by way of doing good for others, some small good deed to big good deeds that you're able to do. By doing that, we create a different energy within ourselves and within the community as a whole. And it's always necessary for more and more of us to join the bandwagon of doing good deeds. It does make a difference. And start first in your families. Start first within your own families. Do some good deeds within your own family. Tonight's guest is a young man who's brought to us by way of our co-host, and that is Sister Ma'at. He has been with us before. The subject is current events, and uh, current events are those issues that are in the news that have great implications as far as the mindset of people, whether it engenders hope, fear, or just plain hopelessness. And his name is James Fisser, Professor James Fitzer. Thank you for joining us on Blog Talk Radio, the Keys 107. Oh, Leroy, thank you so much for having me here and uh, I greatly appreciate the invitation. I wish I qualified as a young man, however, I'm actually 72. <laughs> well, God bless you for the years that you've been here. There are a lot of folks who are in their 60s who, quote, retire from this whole game of life, and they have great brain matter, but they're off somewhere saying that I can't change things anyway, but you're the exact opposite of that. You're clock keeps ticking, and we're thankful for that. And the sister Ma'at is with us. Is she with us yet? Okay. Yes, she I was... am. Yes, okay. I'm so pleased she's here. And thank you, Professor Fetzer, for joining us, as usual. Uh, sister Ma'at. It's my great, it's sorry, my great pleasure, and, and, and I think uh, Brother Leroy has it right. Since I retired as a university professor after 35 years of teaching in 2006, I've been devoting myself to dealing with the complex and controversial issues that matter to our nation's history, including the plane crash that took the life of Senator Paul Wellstone, the assassination of JFK, the atrocities of 9-11, more recently Sandy Hook and the Boston Marathon bombing. So. Uh, my wife believes I'm more active now than I was when I was teaching full-time, and I suspect she's right. 
so, uh, Sister Maad, please start off our interview for the benefit of our audience. All right. Um, what I want uh, Professor Fetzer to um, basically do is to lay out his analysis of um, the, uh, what happened at the Boston Marathon. I'll let you, I'm going to give you free reign to lay out how you looked at it and what conclusions you came up with. Well, thank you very much, Sister. I greatly appreciate that. Actually, this was a case where the alternative media cracked the case wide open before the FBI even had the opportunity to put out its cover story. It turns out that there were so many photographs and there was so much coverage that the alternative media was very quick to spot that the key players were actually not the two brothers, but the personnel from Kraft International who were wearing dark jackets, khaki pants, and a distinctive cap with a skull design uh, embroidered with the name Kraft, C-R-A-F-T, whose motto is, violence does solve problems. There were many Kraft employees scattered around, and some of them were wearing backpacks. They were using cell phones. They weren't paying attention to the marathon, but they seemed to be coordinating with one another. One of them had on a black black backpack with a white square on the top, When the explosion took place, it was with a black uh, backpack with a white square on the top, and he was observed running with others away from the scene without his backpack. So that's the basic scenario. This was a staged event. Homeland Security was involved. The FBI was involved. Kraft International was involved. It was intended to instill fear into the American people like other of the atrocities we've been discussing, including Sandy Hook and 9-11, but the truth of the matter is completely different than what we've been told by our officials. Mm-hmm. Now, you mentioned Kraft International. Uh, I, I need you to expand on that. I've heard other analysts refer to them as professional killers, mercenaries. Give, sketch out a bit, and I understand they're connect, connected to SEAL, to the seals. So give us some more background on this craft international that were all over the place at the Boston Marathon. Well, well, Sister Matt, I think some mistook them for seals initially, but what they are is members of a private army, a group of mercenaries just like Blackwater. Craft International is a competitor with Blackwater. These are people who are paid money to kill people. And in this case, they were paid to be a part of the operation that would you know, produce the fiasco known as the Boston Marathon bombing. I have uh, four or five articles about this now, including one entitled uh, Boston Bombing, New Hampshire versus Jim Fetzer, because I began posting about the Boston bombing on the union leader's comments page, where the union leader is the most important newspaper in New Hampshire. I was very upset that the New Hampshire legislature had voted 312 to zero to praise Jeff Bowman, who actually was faking having sustained injuries during the bombing, which I will explain, and condemning Stella Tremblay, who was a member of their legislature, who was the only prominent politician to speak out and to observe that Bowman didn't appear to be breathing in agony, blood wasn't spurting from his legs. It looked phony to her, and I congratulate her because she was absolutely 100% correct, as subsequent studies have confirmed. 
And I also note that in your piece that you did with um, RT, Russia Today, that you refer to it as an amateurist false flag. Would you elaborate, Professor Fetzer, on um, what you what you meant by that? Absolutely, sister. It was so amateurish that, that the alternative media cracked it. It was so embarrassing to the FBI, they had to send out a stooge during a press conference to tell the public not to look at all the studies, all the photographs that were being examined by the alternative media. In other words, don't look at the man behind the curtain, as in the case of The Wizard of Oz. Just look at our photographs exclusively, which is completely absurd unless every photograph taken at the Boston Marathon had been studied for the presence of different persons that they had been identified and they had been cleared of any wrongdoing. Not only that, but the two individuals they advanced photographs of as suspects and asked for the public's assistance in identifying were two individuals it turned out that they had themselves had under surveillance for no less than five years. In other words, sister, they knew who they were talking about when they put out these photographs, mm. and it was merely a form of deception to ask the public for their help. Mm. Mm. Uh, that, now, that what, article, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Anita. Go ahead. That article that um, that you wrote in the, the that article that you wrote, a series of articles in the New Hampshire. What's what's it called? The Union Leader or something? Well, those were a series of comments, actually, Brother Leroy. Those were comments that I posted on the article in which they were reporting how the legislator had voted 312 to zero to support Jeff Bauman and to condemn Stella Tremblay. Now, the articles, I have, the, the articles I've published about it, which includes one where I go through the discussion thread, are found on Veterans Today. So if you do a search on Veterans Today, comma, Jim Fetzer, F-E-T-Z-E-R, you'll find article after article that I've published about this where I expose what was going on. Okay, go ahead, Sister Maud. Well, I'm wondering, and just looking at some general pieces on YouTube, I came across the idea of crisis actors. And one was pointed out who had already lost his legs. I think the last name was Voigt, V-O-G-T. So what is, what is your uh, take on this idea of crisis actors in, in, involved in the incident? Well, we have a new, uh, a new study about this uh, event, uh, on a website entitled uh, Truth and Shadows, which is a simply excellent article that complements all the research that I and the other members of my research group have been doing, and which even includes the form that is to be signed by the crisis actors who participate in these drills and pretend to be victims, as was done in this case. Uh, the, the figure who allegedly had his legs blown off has been correctly identified as Jeff Bauman rather than Nick Voigt, V-O-G-T. He looked a great deal like Nick Voigt initially, but it turns out that it was not Nick Voigt, but another fellow by the name of Jeff Bauman, where in a photo sequence that I discuss, there's a fellow in a hood who is helping Jeff Bauman to apply a false prosthesis that appears to have a bone extending from it, just as Stella observed, he's not squirting blood. 
He, he isn't writhing in agony. In fact, he's virtually unaided for a period of time sufficient that he probably would have bled to death already because in these kinds of wounds, most of your blood starts draining out after one minute, and within two minutes you're dead. Then they put him in a wheelchair, and they raced him off, and because of the vibrations of the wheelchair, the false prosthesis fell off. They had to stop and reattach it. This is what I mean by saying this was the original amateur hour, very poorly done. Mm, mm, mm. I I saw, I didn't see that that picture in the sequence, but I saw the the picture with the guy in the hood. There's a lady blocking um, there to block the view. She's a black woman. They describe her as an African woman. And uh, she's she's later seen in shock in a, on a on a stretcher, and uh, you see this man in, in the narration on the photo talks about how much blood would have been lost with two legs gone, and that blood would have been all over the place. It, it's it's what what the question that comes to mind is how such an event could take place with the actors and no one break the silence of the actors. You, you follow what I'm saying? No one, no news well, slips out. Well, uh, Brother Leroy, we've had, we've had much break, bigger events than this where, you know, most of the participants uh, didn't even realize they were involved in an actual event. When you mention uh-huh. the blood... Yeah, the blood on the scene is very bright red and it's very thick. It's clearly a Hollywood uh, e- special effect. Uh, blood from that wound would come out from the arteries initially bright red, but then it would oxidize, combined with oxygen, and turn dark red. One hmm. of the nice parts about the Truth and Shadows article that is parallel to the analysis I have provided is that it actually shows a, a, a Boston Bruins ice skate player who had his jugular vein severed, and you can see the blood on the ice. It was fortunate that he even survived, but the blood on the ice has turned dark red, which it would have been the color that would have been appropriate had this been a real event. In fact, you can see if you go through the photo sequence where they're actually putting out the false blood to create the impression that he actually lost his legs on that occasion. Mm-hmm. And I understand that there was an actual drill going on. I want you to bring up the commonality of all of these events when there's a live, when there's a drill, and then the drill goes goes live. I understand well, the announcement about a drill. That's a wonderful point, sister. Uh, that, that appears to have been the case at, you know, on seven seven, the Boston bombing. There's a wonderful one-hour video by Maud Dibb entitled 7-7 Ripple Effect that within in one hour only goes through the entire case, shows how they planned for a drill and then took it live and killed a, a fair number of people. But where the four patsies, the four Muslim youth they had in, you know, talked into participating as actors were actually unable to reach the tube stops in time, because they missed the train from Luton, which had been canceled. So it wasn't even possible that they could have been on the scene, 
even though the police would go ahead and blame them for the crime and apparently shoot two of them dead in Canary Wharf where they were trying to make their way to the international media to explain what had actually happened. Sure. Uh, read the, read, read, you know, watch the video, the one hour by Maud Dib 7-7 Ripple Effect. It's Sandy Hook. It appears the whole thing was orchestrated by the White House and the Department of Justice that Department of Homeland Security black vehicles were all over Sandy Hook before the event took place. A, a researcher with whom I have studied the case by the name of Dennis Camino, who has a great deal of experience in electronics, discovered that the Connecticut Emergency Communication System was taken over by an unidentified entity earlier in the morning. If you look at the way in which the, the people are reacting to the event, you do not have a massive surge of emergency medical technicians trying to rush the little bodies in ambulance or other vehicles to doctors at hospitals who could determine whether they are dead or alive. There was no influx of emergency medical technicians. Everyone is acting very calm. The, the participants standing around are not at all well-dressed. There's no one in a suit as though he just rushed over from the office. Women are not well-dressed as though they just come from their place of employment. It's all extremely casual. And then the idea that the police would leave the bodies in the school until midnight that day. I mean, think of it. That's like 15 hours. Can you imagine any parent putting up with the idea of their, their child being left in a, in a pile of little bodies in the school? The whole thing is completely outrageous. And Barack Obama wrote it all that he could for gun control legislation, which would be manifestly not in the interests of the nation. It looks as though Homeland Security is beefing up to conduct a war against the American people, and we need for as many Americans as possible to be armed and prepared to defend their freedom and the integrity of this nation. Well, well that's an excellent, excellent point. And I want to go back to Boston and the fact that somehow, <coughs> pardon, they were able to bring on 9,000 um, troops, National Guard, police, law enforcement, and talk about what happened in terms of uh, breaking people's door, doors down, marching them out in bare feet with hands up, with guns pointed. That seems to be one of the real drills that was going on, the martial law that ensued uh, after the Boston incident. You're making some excellent points, sister. We have... One of the runners who was a track coach who reported that they were announcing over a loudspeaker system that there was a drill, no one should get alarmed. There were drug-sniffing dogs at the start line and at the finish line. One of the runners noticed that they had an abnormally large medical tent, as though they might be expecting to have an influx of persons who were injured. It all was very much staged. The older brother was actually apprehended by the police, and we have video of him naked, stripped naked, and placed into a police car. Next, what we have is his body that's been badly mauled. It's got a huge incision on the side, which may have been from the removal of his heart by surgery. His face mm -hmm. is all battered and bruised, and we have witnesses who report having seen him run over multiple times by the police driving an SUV, which was probably his own vehicle. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. now, the point you make about going the point you make about the military presence is impeccable 
it looks as though one of the principal objectives was to create a massive military presence within the center of a very a city known for its liberalism to make it look as though a massive response enforced by the military was appropriate. There was a lockdown of the entire city for what? To track down a single 19-year-old boy? He was actually photographed there wearing his backpack slung over his right shoulder. It didn't appear to contain a, anything the size of a pressure cooker. It was the wrong color to have been either of the backpacks that exploded, one of which I've already described, a black pack, black backpack from Croft International with a white square on it. The other was a beige or brown backpack, but it wasn't the same as the one he was wearing. And when he left, he went back to college to hang out with his friends, with his buddies. He was a, a wrestler. He was active in the drama club. Uh, he had lots of friends. Uh, this guy was not acting like a criminal. And when later he realized that they were searching for him, it appears that he went to a security guard he knew on the MIT campus and attempted to give himself up that the security guard called in and officials showed up and they were so upset at what was going on they actually shot him in the face and killed him. Meanwhile, the brother wound up in a boat and although hundreds of rounds were fired at it, he came out unscathed. We have photographs of him. But we have also other photographs where he's lying on the ground and appears to be being subjected to an, a medical procedure, cutting his throat so he couldn't talk. This whole thing is such a disgrace, oh, I cannot begin to tell you. And for the American people to be taken in by this, it means that we're a nation of gullible saps. Hmm. When, when you look at, uh, well, first of all, this is this is Blog Talk Radio, ladies and gentlemen. The account is so fascinating, you, you lose sense of time. But this is Blog Talk Radio. The program is the Keys 107 Network, the Communicators' Respect for Life segment on this Tuesday night. And our guest online is Professor James Fitzer, and our co-host is Sister Maude. I'm Brother Leroy. Telephone number 213-943-3618, 213-943-3618. Nine four three three six one eight. If you want to join the conversation, you're welcome to, and you hit one on your telephone keypad to ask a question. Two one three nine four three three six one eight, and you're welcome to join the conversation. What is amazing is that uh, folks in general media um, not knowing, not even picking up on this kind of information, and, uh, you you know, if little people know about these alternative websites and the sequence of pictures that are being analyzed and have been analyzed, you know, if, what have, if any, what have any accounts come to you on the part of folks who work for general media and how they just don't, dare to tread in these waters of revealing information that's common on the Internet? Well, the general media is quite dominated by wealthy owners, most of whom appear to be Zionists. In fact, there was a team of uh, investigators on the way from Israel to assist the Boston police in their investigation. Why anyone would think that would be a reasonable thing to do is beyond me, but the reports I have is they took off from Tel Aviv before the bombing had even taken place, 
Then they were supplemented by a team of medical technicians from Israel because, quote, uh, we have experience dealing with this uh, who are flown in as though Boston didn't have major medical facilities that could deal with any of these problems. This all appears to have been a grandstand event where Benjamin Netanyahu, the prime minister of Israel, has even said that this is good for Israel because it will make the American people know how we feel except, of course, that it was all a staged event, just as 9-11 turns out to be a staged event, where while people were killed on 9-11, they were killed by 19 Islamic terrorists, and all four of the crash sites were faked. It was another serious disinformation uh, operation intended to instill fear into the American people to transform our support for a public policy a foreign policy that would lead us to become an aggressor nation and to attack nations that had never attacked us. <coughs> the situation is terrible and appalling, but it won't it won't be reported in the newspapers because, for the most part, they own the newspapers. Well, the the question relates to uh, not name sources, but individuals who might be in general in general media employed who share uh, off the record that, hey, you know, I would write about this stuff, but uh, we just can't. Or the information came in about these sequence of pictures. I'm just using that Boston as an example. And uh, the editor told us, um, just pay attention to the details we want you to pay attention to. Any mm-hmm. any things mm-hmm. like that well, coming your way? Well, it's just mm-hmm. like the FBI saying, look at the photographs we want you to look at. Not all the photographs the alternative media has used to expose that the real perps were craft international. I mean, this is outrageous. And mm-hmm. and the the, the 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 fact is, this is a very amateurish operation. I did an interview with Dr. Stan Monteith. Many of you are listeners are going to know Dr. Stan. He's very famous, very conservative. He's been doing this for more than 30 years. And when Dr. Stan and I discussed it on the air, he explained how he'd been puzzled about how this man could have had the, the loss of his legs and recover so rapidly because Dr. Stan is an orthopedic surgeon. Mm-hmm. And when I explained to him how they put on the false prosthesis, then he understood how it could be the case that during the bombing he appeared to have lost his legs below the knee, and yet after the bombing it's clear that he's had his amputations, his legs amputated above the knee, and it was mm-hmm. learning that they used the false prosthesis that enabled to see it clearly. He has spoken out about this. If you go online <coughs> and do a search for Dr. Stan on the Boston bombing, you'll see where he reports that the recovery was remarkably quick for those who claim to have just had fresh amputations, like they're out of bed and up and about months and months earlier than they ought to have been if it were real. And, of course, they would have bled out. You know, they would have been in shock, and they would have, uh, there would have been loss of life uh, bleeding at that level, I, I would generally think. Uh, I'm wondering you're, right, about- you're right on, sister. Go ahead. I'm wondering about the white smoke that that you see because I heard a caller on a um a radio show, it might have been coast to coast or whatever, where they seem to know about explosions and explosives and they seem to claim that the white smoke would not have been evidence of a real explosion. Do you know anything or have you looked into any Well into most explosives <laughs> most explosives emit black smoke. 
And as explosives go, this was a very mild explosion. Some have suggested it was actually a smoke bomb. But they, you know, they played up how much carnage. They've exaggerated the numbers. Would you believe some have even referred to the use of this uh, pressure cooker bomb as a weapon of mass destruction? I can't begin to tell you how ridiculous that is. Weapons of mass destruction are nuclear, biological, chemical weapons that can take out a large population over a large area. If you call that a weapon of mass destruction, that would qualify a hand grenade as a weapon of mass destruction because it was approximately that powerful. The situation is completely ridiculous. The media has abdicated its responsibility. We are getting nothing but lies from our government. I find it grossly insulting that we are being subjected to all of this false information by a government that's supposed to provide us with leadership. It isn't happening. Hmm. Telephone number 213-943-3618. 213-943-3618. You're welcome to join in the conversation with a question or two. And this is Blog Talk Radio, The Keys 107. The program is Respect for Life segment of Communicators. I'm Brother Leroy, along with co-host Sister Ma'at. Our guest online is Professor James Fitzer. We have some announcements coming up, ladies and gentlemen. We ask you to pay very close attention to them and support those who support this program where you're getting information that is not in the so-called general media. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Rafika Consultants and Services, LLC, is on the cutting edge of emerging technologies for designing online classes and providing face-to-face and virtual technology training uh, brother Leroy. computer programs, web design, and graphic arts. We also provide biography writing services for websites. For more information, give us a call at 631-399-0149. That's 631-399-0149. The Fluffs present the alphabet. Now found in paperback, sporting a five-star rating on Amazon.com. Boom 107, fashions and gifts that bring out the best in you. Boom 107 is an online retail store featuring women's and men's clothing and a gift shop. The woman's shop features stylish tunics. gentlemen we're back and this is the keys 107 network professor james fitzer is our guest online we're talking about current events the boston incident sandy hook and we may be able to get in one other current event we have a call on the line thank you for your call thank you for your patience your question please but lord leroy the uh, caller dropped its line so you can continue on with the conversation okay. Very good. 
Um, the call is not there, but you're welcome to call 213-943-3618-213-943. 3618. Now, uh, Professor Fitzer, in terms of Boston, what information, you may have, you may have said this, I, I don't recall in our short interview thus far, what information is there that there was a drill for that day, uh, an official drill for that day? And I'm coinciding that with the fact that information came out that when Sandy Hook occurred, there was indeed a drill at another uh, school maybe 20 minutes away. Um, Share with us whatever information you might have uh, come across. Well, there were runners who announced that they were reporting that there is nothing to be concerned about, that this is a drill using loudspeakers at the starting line, they had, they had uh, explosive-sniffing dogs. Uh, other runners observed that they had an abnormally large emergency medical tent set up. Uh, you know, there are multiple signs of anticipating something was going to happen, including, of course, the presence of a very large number of Kraft International personnel who were distributed around and who were captured on these photographs. I mean, <clears throat> the alternative media... And the amateurs who were studying this put it together so fast or took it apart so fast that the FBI didn't even have a chance to get out its cover story. It's been trying to compensate ever since by getting us these incredibly elaborate stories of the older brother going to Russia, being radicalized, coming back to the United States. They're even making up phony baloney about the two brothers possibly having been involved in an earlier murder. I'm telling you, it's all rubbish. It's all complete rubbish. This is one of the greatest cases of, of lying to the American people in history because the job was so amateurish that they're laying it on in layers and layers and detail after detail, which is fabricated, one fabrication after another, so that the American people can't get their mind wrapped around the fact that this is all phony, this is all false, this is all fake, this is a mass of lies. The government is trying to peddle to conceal the fact that it blew it, that it was done in such an amateurish way that the case was actually taken apart within a matter of hours by the alternative media. And, and I'm wondering what your assessment is of actual um, fatalities and casualties. And the other part of my question is, what is the end game? Now, when we look at the stands and we look at the geography of the of uh, Chechnya, Chechnya, where the brothers are from, and that whole area, don't they have a lot of oil and particularly natural gas reserves? I want you to talk a little bit about the end game of of all of this, including taking away our rights and telling us to shelter in, you can't go out, et cetera. Well, I don't think the United States is about to invade Chechnya. This was just a convenient source of where there had been a resistance to the Russian government, and therefore, you know, they, they try to find a plausible way to weave a story together. And having the brothers from Chechnya is a nice background. Notice the subtle motif of a Lee Harvey Oswald-style operation where the, uh, bro- the older brother has been to Russia comes back, he has a wife and a daughter, he actually owned the SUV, 
apparently he was even planning to move to New York to improve his his professional prospects. He, he was a boxer, and I think that's part of the reason why they treated him so carefully and killed him so brutally. But the fact is that the younger brother being claimed to have shot the the security guard uh, is analogous to Lee Oswald being claimed to have shot the the officer, J.D. Tippett, the Dallas police officer. Mm. And it was claimed that the fact that Oswald had shot Tippett was evidence or proof that he'd shot uh, JFK. He, he had not shot Tippett, and I'm quite sure the younger brother did not shoot this security guard. It's all complete rubbish. Uh, if you look into these things deeply enough, you find that the government is simply lying in one case after another, and that most of American mm-hmm. history, I'm sorry to say, is a pack of lies that the living play on the dead. And, and with all the surveillance cameras around, this elaborate uh, scenario of these shootouts and and uh, two people, uh, one killed and I guess one seriously injured in critical condition, where is the surveillance of any of uh, that that story? Where where is the footage footage of any of that story? You're making a great point, sister, because they knew exactly who they were dealing with. They knew exactly who they were framing. I mean, the very idea that they could have put out those photographs and asked for the public's help in identifying them when they already knew who they were, just as as big a smoking gun as you have in this case. You also have one where the older brother is arrested, and we see him in video. He's been identified by his mother and his aunt, put into the police car, and later shows up dead, brutally murdered by being driven over repeatedly by what appears to have been his own car, according to other witnesses. You can find all this online. Russia Today even included the footage in their production from the truth seeker, what you aren't told about the Boston bombing, where I can assure you Russia today is giving us more truth about the Boston bombing than is the New York Times. Hmm. That was a question of mine in terms of media outside of the U.S. that is printing the alternative information. And you said yeah, that's Russia right. Today. That's right, Brother Leroy. They, they, the Russia Today is doing the job. The American media is not. But most Americans have no idea that there even is a Russia Today. They have no idea there is a press TV. They have no idea that they can actually take advantage of alternative sources of media from outside the United States, where everything we hear, everything we hear, is tightly controlled by a small group of corporations and by the federal government. It's only through the internet. Talk shows like this and the alternative media and the use of the the web that we're able to exploit the resources we have so far still available to us. So the the FBI and the CIA and the and the and the Homeland Security want to clamp down. So you and I and sister cannot have conversations like this one. They don't want that to happen. Mm-hmm. And one, I'd just like you to give us a thumbnail sketch of a piece you did on your, um, a piece you did with Press TV, and it's entitled Obama Risk Triggering, Triggering World War Three. I guess it's in relation to Syria and or Iran. Would you give us a thumbnail sketch of uh, what that piece is all about? Absolutely. The whole Syrian business is a fabrication. Once again, the rebels are actually mercenaries like these people from Kraft. 
Many of them may actually be from Blackwater. They have been slaughtering villages and blaming it on the Assad government, which had nothing to do with it. Because the government has withstood the assault for two years now, uh, Israel felt it had to become involved and conducted this attack on Russian missiles that were being provided through Syria, some of which may have been intended for Hezbollah, which is the only force in the world that actually fought the Israelis to a stalemate. But where the Israelis have nuclear weapons, which they may or may not be planning to use, in any case, this is backfiring on uh, Israel, because Vladimir Putin uh, <coughs> called up Benjamin Netanyahu when he was in Shanghai for a meeting with the, the, the heads of China and told him that this was unacceptable, that Russia wasn't going to tolerate attacks on Syria, and that he was accelerating the delivery of missile systems to Syria. Uh, Netanyahu was so upset by this that he pleaded for an opportunity to meet with Putin, which, which was reported yesterday where he had no success in discouraging Putin from providing this support, which I believe is going to end the invasion and attack in Syria. I think Putin is the only statesman in the world who could do this, and I'm very grateful he has done it. Now, the Obama role here is quite disgusting and disturbing because he supported Netanyahu and said that Israel is entitled to defend itself without adding, provided that's within the, the framework of international law. Because this attack was not only a violation on Syria's sovereignty, but it also violated the U.N. Charter. In addition, Obama has provided Netanyahu with refueling tankers and radar-suppressing aircraft that are just what he needs to attack Iran. If the Iranian <coughs> nuclear facilities, which are not developing nuclear weapons but are for peaceful energy purposes, as our own intelligence agencies agreed in 2007, and then reaffirmed in 2011, were to take place. The estimates have it there would be a million dead Iranians outright, and then 35 million more premature deaths as the wave of contamination. The cloud of contamination swept across Afghanistan, Pakistan, and India. So Obama, what Obama is doing, I have compared to placing a pedophile in charge of a daycare center. Completely disgraceful. And third, of course, he's supporting these use of predator drones in Pakistan. Again, this is another violation of international law and world sovereignty, where when you put these three examples together, you realize that our president of the United States now qualifies properly as a war criminal. Uh, uh, Professor Fitzer, as we continue, I'd like for you to just go back over some things, and it's really the uh, website websites that folks can access the information that you've shared with us. Now, Truth and Shadows is a website? Yes. Okay, it's Truth, Truth and, and Shadows. Truth and Shadows is a web, website that's edited by a fellow named Craig McGee, M-C-G-E-E. Uh, -E. He's an excellent person. And, and uh, this latest article about the Boston bombing is completely brilliant. I highly recommend it. It not only shows the same sequence that I've been discussing of the fakery involving the false prosthesis, it makes a nice analysis of the blood being planted or phony blood, fake blood, Hollywood blood. It even shows the uh, contractual agreement 
that is signed by the uh, actors, you know, the, the, these actors who participate in these in these drills. It's really outrageous, mm. but it's all there. If you go to just go to Truth and Shadows, uh, you ought to be able to track it. Okay, is that truthandshadows.com? Yeah. Okay, and the other one you mentioned is 7-7 Ripple Effect. Well, that yeah, that's a specific uh, documentary, one hour, created oh, okay. by Maud Dip about the 7-7 bombing. But the other place you want to go to is Veterans Today, Jim Fetzer, where you'll find, you know, the half a dozen articles I published about the Boston bombing, other articles I have on the Sandy Hook, and a whole lot of other issues like 9-11, JFK, and other issues. What, if anything, have you picked up on your radar regarding the assassination of Malcolm Shabazz? Well, it's very interesting that when he was taken out in Mexico, and there have been multiple conflicting reports about how he died, he was heading for an international film conference in Tehran, uh, the capital of Iran, where I and Kevin Barrett and others were participating, the Iranian government brought in 50 of us to participate in a Hollywoodism conference to discuss how Hollywood, which is uh, dominated by uh, individuals who are Jewish and who promote a Zionist agenda, have used their, their, their positions to promote uh, Israel's interests, not those of the American people. And they made a lot of money at it while well, they've done it. So we were there to talk about films like Schindler's List and uh, and Sophie's Choice and The Reader, The, the Piano, uh, but also more recent films. Uh, I made a nice point about uh, uh, Zero Dark Thirty, which is a pure piece of propaganda based upon falsehoods because Osama bin Laden actually died on 15 December 2001. He had nothing to do with 9-11. He was buried in an unmarked grave in Pakistan, in Afghanistan, in accordance with Muslim tradition. There were local obituaries about it. It was even reported on Fox News in February or March. David Ray Griffin has now written a whole book about it, Osama bin Laden, Dead or Alive. And Nick Kohlerstrom is an historian of science from London, who's also an expert on the 7-7 bombings, has published an article about it entitled Osama bin Laden, 1957 to 2001, and I have published a review of that movie entitled Zero Dark Thirty, The Deeper, Darker Truths that you can find online, which exposes the hoax. Well, the, uh... Brother Leroy? Brother yeah. Leroy? Yeah, I just want you to to be aware that uh, Professor Kevin Barrett is um, was expecting to join us after half an hour, so um, I just okay. wanted to yeah make sure you were aware of that. Okay, um, I'd missed that point. I'd missed that point, and we're going to have to do this before we conclude with uh, Professor Fitzer in terms of the. Keys 107 Network and the Communicators Respect for Life. On another show that I do, we have been targeted, the other show that I do on uh, what you call brick-and-mortar radio, I've been targeted as anti-Semite because of Minister Farrakhan being a guest on the show and my uh, advising people to pick up the Final Call newspaper and read. 
because of those two things, I've been targeted for as an anti-Semite. And I want to make clear that in terms of your mentioning of of Hollywood being nominated by uh, primarily Jews and who support the Zionist cause, that that is not a that is your assessment and yeah. not. Go ahead. <laughs> Leroy, it's the objective truth. Even Joel Stein, who's a prominent Jewish columnist, has said Hollywood controls Jews. He went through all the owners, producers of all the studios. Every single one of them is Jewish. If you want to continue this, I think you ought to you know, talk with Kevin Barrett, who's an expert on all of this, and I admire him greatly. Neither you, nor sister, nor Kevin, nor I is anti-Semitic. We simply don't believe that Israel should be dominating the United States politically and in other ways through its extensive influence here. So I, you know, I would welcome your having Kevin on to continue the conversation. All right, beautiful. And uh, let me see. Uh, we've covered everything. And um, oh, oh, you were saying. You, I'm sorry. You, you. I'd asked you about. The assassination assassination of Malcolm Shabazz, and you went. That's where you went to. Uh, to yeah. uh, it would have been wonderful if he could have joined us. Kevin Barrett has written an article about it. I recommend that we make the transition to Kevin and continue okay. the conversation with him. All right, Professor James Fitzer, I want to thank you very, 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 very super much for your clarity, and we look forward to having you again, just as we've had you this second time here on The Communicators, and much success, and may God continue to bless you and your family, and our audience should stay tuned for Kevin Barrett, who will be coming up in a few minutes. Thank you so much, Brother Leroy. My pleasure to come back. Thank you, sister. Bye for now. And ladies and gentlemen, as we connect with Kevin Barrett, we will be back after these announcements. Once again, please support those advertisers who support the Keys 107 network. We'll be right back. Rafika Consultants and Services, LLC, is on the cutting edge of emerging technologies for designing online classes and providing face-to-face and virtual technology training or help with computer programs, web design, and graphic arts. We also provide biography writing services for websites. For more information, give us a call at 631-399-0149. That's 631-399-0149. The Fluffs present the alphabet, now found in paperback, sporting a five-star rating on Amazon.com. Fashions and gifts that bring out the best in you. Moon 107 is an online retail store featuring women's and men's clothing and the gift shop. The woman's shop features stylish tunics, suits, and accessories and offers the well-dressed woman an outlet to find the perfect gift for self or for someone else. The men's shop offers classy French cut shirts for the well-dressed man. The gift shop offers organic skin, hair,
This is the Keys 107 Network. I'm Brother Leroy along with co-host sister, my aunt. We're dealing with current events this evening, and we do thank you for your patience and your support of the Keys 107 Network. Please tune in to the Keys 107 Network periodically throughout the week. You can check our schedule of other programs. All are geared to being informative for you and your family and the information that you pick up. Please share with others so that the information can go beyond just yourselves. And, of course, start first with your families. Do we have Kevin Barrett on the line? Okay. There are a number of things going on current event-wise in in the newspapers and on the Internet. There are various websites. I'll just repeat. The two websites that uh, Professor Fitzer gave to us, Veterans Today, comma, Jim Fitzer. Go into Google, put in Veterans Today, comma, Jim Fitzer, F-E-T-Z-E-R. And uh, the other website is Truth and Shadows. And the person who puts that particular website together is Craig McGee. M-C-G-H-E-E, Craig McGee. So you can use either one in Google, Truth and Shadows, the website put together by Craig McGee, so you should get to it by either. And the documentary that Professor Fitzer mentioned during the course of our interview was 7-7 Ripple Effect. We advise you to go to Google, put in 7 Seven ripple effect, and you're going to have more information. Do we have our guest online yet? Okay, and once again, the information that you get in this classroom, we ask you to pass it on, and even before you pass it on, please check out the information yourself so as you pass it on, you can be on point. It's very interesting as you get this kind of information on alternative media and then look at the regular newspapers or websites or look at your evening news and this information is not there. It creates something where you have a big question mark. How come you may even doubt the alternative media? Now, there's one photo. I'll wait for our engineer to let us know that our guest is on the line. There's Your one. guest is on the line. Your okay. guest is on the line. Very good. And ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your patience. Our co-host, Sister Mahat, will introduce our next guest for us. Please, Sister Mahat. Yes, um, Brother Leroy. Uh, first of all, I want to welcome uh, Dr. Kevin Barrett. Um, and I want to read from his uh, some information he sent sent me. He says that he is an American Muslim and Ph.D. Arabist Islamologist and is one of America's best-known critics of the war on terror. Praise the Lord and pass the ammunition. I'm going to let Dr. Barrett tell tell us how he arrived there as uh, an American, and uh, I'm going to let him give us some background as to how he arrived to that place. Well, thank you so much, uh, Sister Maud and, and Brother Leroy. I appreciate what you're doing, putting out honest and accurate information on the airwaves. That's a that's a rare commodity these days. 
you know, I'm uh, kind of just a, a typical Midwestern white boy who turned into one of the world's most infamous Muslim conspiracy theorists. <laughs> and it, it kind of happened uh, gradually. I, I woke up to the uh, likelihood of conspiracies in the cases of JFK, uh, Dr. Martin Luther King, and others when I was young. I, I saw a Mark Lane presentation on the JFK assassination when I was still in high school. So my illusions that the media was telling me the truth and the full story was being told in the school books were shattered at a fairly early age. And that probably helped uh, open up my mind. And so I probably went through life with a little bit more open mind than your average academician. I kind of wandered back into the academy uh, after playing Bohemian in San Francisco for several years, and I ended up with my Ph.D. in Arabic and Islamic studies. And I was just about to get that Ph.D. in time for 9-11, and that threw me for a loop. Uh, it looked very suspicious to me from the get-go, and I figured I'd probably never really know what happened, and I just went back to finishing up my Ph.D. And then uh, in late 2003, I heard Dr. David Ray Griffin was putting together a book that would argue that 9-11 was a complete inside job, a false flag with they blew up the World Trade Center, they uh, it bombed the Pentagon or hit it with a missile, that it was nothing like we were told. And that sounded outrageous to me, but Dr. Griffin is, has such a good reputation, I thought I'd better look into it. And I knew you can't trust the, the powers that be, so I looked into mm. it and I was shocked. It's true. I mean, it's obvious. You know, It's just totally obvious that what we were told on 9-11 was uh, a big lie. And and that really shook me. You know, I've been Muslim since 1993. Um, I came to Islam because it makes sense to me. It's the description of God in Islam just makes a lot more sense. Maybe because I grew up as a kind of a Unitarian, and uh, and so as an American Muslim, suddenly I was being terrorized by the so-called war on terror. And the more I looked into it, the more phony I saw that it was. And so rather than buckle down and do a regular academic career, I started. Uh, doing a bunch of 9-11 truth activism, and a state legislator here in Wisconsin named Steve Ness made me a uh, notorious, infamous, uh, evil professor teaching conspiracy theories to the poor, innocent youth, and witch-hunted me, and they chased me out of the university, and they stopped me from being able to get a job in any American university. So here I am, uh, an infamous conspiracy theorist, uh, trying to do alternative journalism instead of teaching university. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, um, like to start to focus in on the uh, Boston Marathon uh, incident. Um, uh, in uh, your on your website, you start out. You say the vast majority quote the vast majority of the world's Muslims understands that 9/11, Bali, Madrid, 7/7, Mumbai, and similar events have been false flag attacks conducted by the enemies of Islam. That's a very, very powerful uh, a statement, um, uh, Professor Barrett. So would you, you elaborate as to how you arrived there and what does it all mean? Well, that statement is talking about uh, Muslim public opinion. And the polls show that roughly... 80% of the world's Muslims reject the official story of 9-11. And according to you know which poll you look at and how they phrase their questions, 
sometimes the people will basically come out and say it's an inside job. Other times they'll just say it wasn't uh, it wasn't the 19 Arabs that did it. But anyway, you slice it, it, it comes out to being about 80% of Muslims worldwide reject the official version of 9-11. And here in the U.S., it's closer to two-thirds uh, of American Muslims reject the official story of 9-11. And I think that's understated, because these are you know polling organizations that send out orthodox-looking people to ask your opinion. And you know they, most people tend to say not necessarily what they completely believe, but they want to kind of go along with what's expected of them. And so I suspect that there are actually more uh, Muslims that mistrust the official story of 9-11 than these polls indicate. And this means we have a real uh, gap of credibility here that the uh, American media and the American government have completely lost any credibility whatsoever among Muslims and I should add, among uh, pretty high percentages of other people as well, polls have showed that as many as 36% of Americans say 9-11 was a false flag attack designed to launch the wars on Afghanistan and Iraq. In Germany, there was a poll that showed that 89% of Germans did not believe the American government's version of 9-11. Uh, and we've seen similar kinds of polls in other countries. And so I, I would say that at least half of the world is very skeptical about 9-11, and, and the vast majority of Muslims would be included in that half. Uh, excellent. And, and Brother Leroy, insert yourself um, at any point. Um, now, looking at Boston, the, what happened at the Boston Marathon, you have some unique insights into who the brothers were and some of their beliefs. Would, would you elaborate on that? Uh, you're asking me or Brother Leroy? No, I'm asking you. I'm asking okay. you. Uh, yeah, the, well, the, the brothers, the Sarnoff, were actually uh, pretty normal guys for the most part. And they both were uh, aware that 9-11 was an inside job. That makes me very suspicious uh, about this story that they were uh, supposedly the Boston Marathon bombers. Because if you're a Muslim, as I am, and you know that these terror attacks are being whipped up by the enemies of Islam, why would you do one? So that doesn't make much sense. Another thing that doesn't make any sense is that these guys are from Chechnya, where the so-called terrorists or freedom fighters or you know whatever you want to call them are fighting against the Russians with the help of American intelligence and the American military. The American hmm. Uh, military and, and the Israelis are arming the Chechen uh, rebels or freedom fighters against the Russians. So why would a Chechen Muslim extremist attack the U.S., which is the country whose government is helping him fight the Russians? It makes no sense. And, and then if you look at the pictures of the Boston Marathon bombings, the, the official story makes no sense. It doesn't look like the backpacks that the Sarnam brothers had were the ones that blew up. Uh, and you see a whole team of paramilitary operatives from Kraft International, which is a kind of a CIA spinoff like Blackwater, or XE, as they now call it. These uh, paramilitary guys are the ones who look like they're doing the bombings. Uh, there's one backpack in particular carried by a paramilitary guy from from Kraft International, and you see him carrying that backpack before the bombing. And then in pictures just after the bombing, he doesn't have the backpack anymore. And the backpack he was carrying has a 
white uh, square on the top of it, and that is the very backpack that the FBI shows us, uh, blown to bits, mm. claiming they say that the bomb was in it. So photographic evidence very, very strongly indicates that the bombings were done by paramilitary people from Kraft International. And we know that there was a big drill going on at that time. So it looks like another of these false flag terror attacks that are done as spin-offs of drills, in which the drill becomes the sort of the staging and the pretext for the actual attack. Mm-hmm. And in looking at your site, and by the way, I love the name, TruthJihad.com, um, I, I, I noticed that you referenced that the older brother, I think it was, um, tweeted his understanding of um, his comment on 9-11, and, and he does use a, a, a word in there, which is understandable, but we don't want you to necessarily say it um over the air with us, but uh, talk about their stance in terms of their views of uh, September 11th, 01, and what the mother, aunt, and father also, uh, you know, when they were told what had happened, what their reactions and statements were. Uh, well, that was the younger brother, actually, Zokar, who, who said uh, in his Twitter account, uh, he made a, a remark saying he doesn't understand why it's so hard for people to understand that 9/11 was an inside job. Come on, wake up! You know, which is the kind of thing that so many of us have been saying for so long. Uh, and, and again, that really doesn't match up with a guy who's going to be blowing up the Boston Marathon. If he knows that 9/11 was an inside job designed to demonize Muslims and launch wars against Muslim countries and create an anti-Muslim wave of hysteria that's supposed to last for a century. Uh, and allow for the expansion of Israel and allow for the U.S. empire to keep colonizing and robbing the Muslim lands, why would he give them more ammunition? You know, these these ridiculously inept so-called Muslim terror attacks that are strategically incredibly stupid, you know, Vietnamese didn't come and blow up American skyscrapers and kill thousands of Americans during the Vietnam War because they knew that that's the best way to lose the war, by mobilizing public opinion against the war. So why do you think that Muslims are stupider than the Vietnamese? I mean, that's, that's why the whole Muslim community was so skeptical immediately about 9-11. Like, why would anyone want to do this? And, and would they have the capability to do it even if they did want to? The whole story is ludicrous. Uh, the only people exactly. who have means and motive and opportunity to do this are the uh, really the Zionists, the people who want the U.S. to, to destroy all of Israel's enemies. Mm. Mm-hmm. And also elaborate, uh, because you lay out very well on your website, truthdihad.com, uh, statements of the mother, the aunt, and I believe the father. Mm-hmm. Right. They all have come out and said that they believe that the brothers were set up as patsies in a, in a false flag operation. And they said it in different ways. Uh, the father uh, at that time was planning on coming to the U.S. to try to uh, defend his son's innocence. And I, I haven't followed up on that, so I don't know whether he's here yet. Uh, but, in, you know, the, the, all of the family members are saying this this whole thing doesn't add up at all. Uh, they're saying that their uh, their loved ones were set up. And so are all the people who knew these guys. You know, all of their friends are saying this doesn't make any sense. These guys were not, you know, remotely the kind of people who would do this. Uh, I, I don't think there's really anybody who knows them that has said that they think they're guilty. 
the one exception is Uncle Sarney, the uh, the, the CIA linked uncle. <laughs> and this whoa, guy, whoa, whoa, whoa! Run, yeah. run that bias again about the CIA link. Um, I think you elaborate with uh, Joyce Raleigh on, on that. Just flesh that out fully for us, please. Sure. Yeah. Well, as I said, every single family member and everybody who knew these guys says they're innocent. They were patsies. The one exception is this uncle, who is uh, he? He was married to the daughter of Graham Fuller. Now, Graham Fuller is one of the most notorious CIA operatives of all time. Uh, Graham Fuller has been tied to the dirty dealing in Turkey that involves the heroin trade and the arms trade. Uh, he spent the uh, months after 9-11 repeatedly visiting, calling, and threatening all of Turkey's leading journalists, uh, telling them they had better not deviate from the official line about 9-11 or else. And these journalists took that as death threats against them and their families. I was told this by these Turkish people when I was over there uh, a year and a half ago. So Graham Fuller is part of the 9-11 cover-up. He was giving death threats to the top journalists in Turkey to keep them from writing anything questioning 9-11. And it just so happens, what a coincidence, that his daughter married this weird uncle of the Sarnoff brothers. And I believe this weird uncle is a a kind of an anti-Muslim Christian. He's uh, maybe the black sheep in the family. So he's linked Mm. to the CIA, and God knows maybe the Mossad and organized crime as well. Uh, And he's got uh, a very checkered history. And so he he pipes up and starts uh, supporting the official story, unlike everybody else in the family and everyone else who knew these brothers. And did I hear you correctly that this Graham Fuller also helped to set up the Mujahideen? Uh, and, and explain what the Mujahideen very briefly was. Okay, and, well, and is. yeah, that's, you're referring to the Mujahideen, which is a terrorist group that is made up of people fighting against Iran. And, and, you know, I actually, uh, my source on this is Jerry Mazza, who is a New York-based freelance journalist, and he, he stands by this report. I haven't been able to get it confirmed yet uh, from anyone else, but according to Jerry, uh, this uncle uh, was a, some kind of liaison, apparently, between the CIA uh, and the uh, MEK, or Mujahideen-e-Halak. Now, that group is a brutal, brutal uh, terrorist group, you know, here in America, we you know we have this media that tells us about the evils of Muslim terrorism and all of that. But over in Iran, they really know what terrorism is because these U.S.-supported groups, uh, led by the MEK, have been murdering people by the dozens or even hundreds as they blow up meetings, they blow up mosques, they attack people at random. I believe they, they've killed uh, four figures, you know, more than a thousand people in a long string of attacks going way back to the Islamic Revolution of 1979. Now, this group is a fanatical sort of Marxist group with a sort of Islamic veneer, but they're just, you know, wild and crazy uh, extremists. And the only reason they exist is that they're getting huge piles of money from governments that don't like the government of Iran. Uh, Israel is supposedly the number one backer of the MEK, but the CIA has supposedly, or at least parts of the CIA, have been helping them as well. And interestingly, just I think it was a couple of years ago, the U.S. government officially delisted the MEK, and so it's no longer even considered a terrorist organization. And I'll tell you, if the MEK isn't a terrorist organization, then what is? Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Telephone number 213-943-3618, 213-943-3618. You'll be on the line with our guest, Dr. Kevin Barrett, and he is sharing information with us that you can find on his website, Truth Jihad, Truth Jihad. Dot com and that's T R U T H J I H A D dot com and you'll be in that classroom in your own private home but you can call in two one three nine four three three six one eight Jerry Jerry Mazza is that M A Z A uh, there are two Z's M A Z Z A and uh, we just concluded our interview with. Professor Fitzer and the issue of the assassination of Malcolm Shabazz came up and he indicated that you may have written an article on that. Please share with us anything in that article if you have indeed written an article on that. Well, that's right. Yeah, I just published uh, my most recent article at Press TV on that issue. And I published the article just immediately after the tragic news of Malcolm's death uh, hit us all. And I was you know, I, I was really shocked and saddened by this because I, you know, I really wanted to meet Malcolm. You know, he seemed like a really a wonderful guy who was following in the footsteps of his illustrious grandfather. You know, the greatest figure in the history of American Islam, Malcolm X. And I was planning to meet him at the Tehran conference. We were over at the uh, Hollywoodism conference at the Pleasure Film Festival in Tehran in February, and he was supposed to be there. And I was waiting for him to show up so I could introduce myself and get to know him. And then suddenly I, we all saw this press TV report that he had been arrested, uh, preventing him from coming. He was, I guess, on his way to the airport or something. He was right in the process of coming to Iran when he was grabbed by the police, apparently on the FBI's say-so, and held. Uh, it was apparently a, just a ridiculous pretext that they had drummed up to detain him and prevent him from going to the the festival. And, you know, my article uh, pointed out that there's a lot of circumstantial evidence to suspect foul play in this case. Mm. We know that the uh, greatest, most charismatic leaders in America have been assassinated by our own government agencies, sometimes in conjunction with Uh, organized crime units or other countries, intelligence agencies. And I'm talking, of course, about Dr. Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, the Kennedy brothers, uh, Paul Wellstone more recently. All of these people we now know to, beyond any reasonable doubt, were killed precisely because they were very charismatic and capable of changing the way people think and threatening the way that our empire is run. Uh, John F. Kennedy was pushing for global disarmament. He, he had a turn towards peace during the last year of his life. Uh, and with his charisma, he was turning the American people towards peace as well. So he was taken out, and the day after he was dead, they uh, massively they, they ch- countermanded his order and uh, started escalating massively in Vietnam. Uh, Bobby Kennedy was trying to get to the bottom of his brother's killing, and when he won the Los Angeles prim- or the California primary and was headed for the White House, they they killed him. Dr. King, uh, everybody who's read William Pepper's book *Act of State* knows that a, a, an American jury found that Dr. King was murdered by the CIA, the FBI, uh, elements of the U.S. Army, and their organized crime assets. This was proven in court to a jury, uh, and Malcolm X, uh, we know, was. Tailed, harassed, and 
almost certainly killed in a plot orchestrated by these same agencies. And, and these people are all killed for the same reason. They are organizing a, a coalition against the powers that rule our empire. And they have enough charisma to actually make uh, that coalition succeed or threaten to make it su succeed. They're actionable threats, in other words. That's what they're called in the intelligence trade. Uh, Paul Wellstone was an actionable threat because he was he wanted to investigate 9-11 and he wanted to stop the rush to the war in Iraq. So in 2002, just before he was going to, to soar to a landslide victory in the Senate race in Minnesota against Dick Cheney's hand-picked opponent, Dick Cheney gave him a basically a death threat and a few days later, his plane went down, killing himself, his wife, his daughter, and his whole campaign staff. Uh, so this is what they do. And so when Malcolm X's son, Malcolm Shabazz, is killed in uh, murky circumstances, uh, and, and we look at his history and we discover that he was becoming a very serious activist. He was following in the footsteps of his grandfather. Uh, he had converted to Shia Islam and basically joined up with what we call the axis of resistance, which is the people resisting Zionism in the Middle East and resisting the empire worldwide. Uh, and it, had he continued on that path and developed this uh, charisma and following, he could have posed a very serious threat to the powers that be, just like his grandfather did. And I wonder whether they didn't do a preemptive assassination, saying, you know, he's rising fast, you know, we stopped him from going to Tehran, where he would have gotten all kinds of media uh, and made all kinds of connections. You know, they were definitely harassing him. If you read his description of that arrest, uh, he's he's speculating that they're they're doing a character assassination so they can assassinate him. And immediately after his death, all of the mainstream disinformation media started spearing him, talking about oh, you know, his his alleged crimes from when he was a kid. Uh, you know, he he'd been essentially clean for the last 10 years of his life. There was one arrest, but no conviction. The arrest was just for supposedly breaking a window or something. You know, nothing serious at all, especially for a guy in his position where they're trying to get everything they can on him. So he was uh, he was actually a, a very uh, good, solid activist, and the whole media was trying to smear him as, as some kind of thug. Uh, now that's a clue, because as he said himself in his statement about his arrest, they assassinate your character so they can get away with assassinating you. And it looks like he may have uh, predicted exactly what was going to happen. He may be another martyr like his grandfather. Well, uh, uh, excuse me, um, Dr. Barrett, um, what do we know about the circumstances of his death in Mexico City, I believe? It's, it's just so murky about what happened. Do you have any information on how he died, how he was killed. No, I'm sorry, I don't. And, you know, I, I've heard some of the same contradictory reports that everyone else has. You know, the first reports, there was a report that he was shot in Tijuana. There was a report that he was pushed from a rooftop in Tijuana. There was a report that both of these things were done to him in, in Tijuana. And now we're being told that it was actually in Mexico City. Uh, so at this point, uh, I really haven't seen uh, enough details to make any sense of what really happened. And the problem is that if indeed this was a political assassination, these kinds of things are typically done in a way that makes it very difficult to, to understand what happened. It's, you know, they like to set people up. Well, if, with famous people, they, they do a lot of plane crashes. Uh, but 
with somebody like Malcolm, you know, they, they wanted a way to smear him. They wanted the reports of his death to say that mm-hmm. he was some kind of a thug and, you know, point to the, you know, the, those aspects of his childhood background that he, he had overcome. So I wouldn't be surprised if they would set him up uh, it, to be killed in what looks like some kind of robbery in murky circumstances. Uh, in other words, they would be trying to assassinate his character as they assassinate him. And the official story of this would be, you know, how, you know they, they could be putting out a lot of disinformation. It sure looks like there. Somebody's putting out all kinds of wrong information about how he died and where he died. Uh, mm. So we just, I think we have to look very skeptically at all of this and investigate. I hope there are honest people on the scene uh, or somebody with some money to hire someone to look into what really happened. It's tough to get to the bottom of these things. If it's really a political assassination that goes up to the top level of political assassins, you know, mm-hmm. we're going to be stuck in the same position we've been with all these other <laughs> political assassinations, maybe figuring out what happened, but getting justice is, uh, you know, I think we're going to have to have a revolution in this country before we get justice for any of these things. Telephone number 213-943-3618. I'm sorry, Maude. Two one three nine four three three six one eight. You'll be on the air with us and speaking with Professor Kevin Barrett, Doctor Kevin Barrett. Go ahead, Ma. Well, I wanted um, uh, Professor Barrett to share with us um, what started out as the Million Muslim March and how it evolved and developed. And uh, so tell us about that and how some of our listeners might participate in uh, that, no, we're not going to be driven by fear. Right. The Million Muslim March was originally the concept, and it was inspired, of course, uh, by the uh, the march that Minister Farrakhan uh, arranged uh, back uh, over a decade ago that was uh, such a success. And the idea was that Muslims have become this kind of hated uh, scapegoat community. And by going to Washington, D.C. on September 11th and going out there in public and saying, uh, we want our civil rights, uh, we question the official story of 9-11, we want an honest investigation of 9-11, that this would be making a very strong statement. And as soon as that plan was drafted and publicized, many non-Muslims said they wanted to join in. And so the idea expanded. Uh, so this uh, September 11th, it's going to be the Million American March Against Fear. It's an inclusive event. And the idea is that we've been living under the politics of fear since 9-11. Uh, we're made to believe that we're in danger, that terrorists could strike any time and kill us. Uh, but mm. the fact is that statistically you're more likely to be hit by lightning or drown in your own bathtub than to be killed Whoa. by terrorists. It's not a statistically significant threat <laughs> at all. But they've burned the Constitution. They've started these illegal wars of aggression. They've murdered millions of people in these wars, all because mm. they've conned us into believing that we should be afraid of terrorism, uh, and especially Islamic terrorism. And, and even, you know, all terrorism put together is not, is not a threat. And Muslims only do 6% of the terrorist attacks. Uh, Radical Jews do 7%. uh, And Hispanics and leftists uh, are the leading, quote-unquote, terrorists in America, yet we never hear about that in the media. So this whole notion that we need to be afraid, and specifically uh, we need to be afraid of Muslims, 
needs to be questioned. And I think a good way to do that is for Muslims and everyone else to get together in Washington see on September 11th and say, we're tired of all this fear. No more fear. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Excellent point. Now, how can people uh, who are able to participate, how can they connect to this um, uh, Million American or Million Man March of um, September 11, 2013? Well, there's a, a Facebook page, and so if you go to Facebook and you search for Million American March, you'll come to it. Or you can just use a search engine and, and go that way. Uh, so it's mainly being organized right now through the Facebook page. And I think there's there's also a website. It's uh, it's not the slickest looking website at this point, yet, but we're we're getting there. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. And the website would be, would you have the? Um... I, I think it's Ampac. Dot US, oh, and I'm forgetting what the end of it is. <laughs> it's, uh, okay, so uh, AMPAC would be uh, AM for American Muslim yeah. and then PC. So they could probably re- research that slash Million American March of 9-11-13. Excellent. Right. Um, I want you to, um, you have an interesting turn of phrase when you refer to Al-Qaeda as Al-Qaeda. And there's some important background because the CIA, I understand, the word Al-Qaeda means database. And when people were trying to track down their loved ones, there was no record of who was becoming part of the um, the fighting in Afghanistan against the Russians. So give us some, um, elaborate on what Al-Qaeda is and its connection also to, to Israel, if Al-Qaeda, if you will. Right. Well, it, the word al-Qaeda, as you said, means database. And originally it was the database of Arab Mujahideen fighters. That Mujahideen just means uh, Islamic uh, fighters. Uh, so it was a database of, of Islamic fighters who were going to Afghanistan to fight the Russians on behalf of the CIA. So it was a CIA mm-hmm. database. And the CIA was working with their, their friends in Saudi Arabia and Pakistan to build this war against the Russians. So Al-Qaeda, the the CIA database, then after the Russians left Afghanistan, this database was still in use. And these Islamic uh, fighters, some of whom were sort of like mercenaries, and others were, uh, you know, very, uh, you know, kind of almost brainwashed Islamic holy warriors, I guess you could call them. And some of them were just criminals. Uh, All of these folks became uh, available for all kinds of, different errands, and they were used to smuggle drugs for the friends of the CIA in the, in the drug smuggling mob. Uh, they were used to harass the Russians in places like Chechnya and the Balkans, uh, and they were basically run by the U.S. and its allies. And then in the 90s, of course, Osama bin Laden made this famous speech where suddenly he turns against the U.S. empire. He says, uh, he says you know, kill the Americans wherever you find them, a very, very flashy thing. And then we get a couple of attacks on U.S. facilities that are attributed to this group. And all of that, I think, was done in order to use this group that they basically controlled and infiltrated, you know, the CIA database called Al-Qaeda. They were going to use that, build that group up to be a patsy for 9-11 in order to, mm-hmm. to get uh, the, their new Pearl Harbor, mobilize the American population behind these policies that wouldn't have been possible without a, a new Pearl Harbor. Uh, so that's how Al-Qaeda was kind of formed and set up by the CIA and then steered 
uh, as an infiltrated group uh, to become the great boogeyman of the so-called war on terror. Mm -hmm. So basically, this idea of the war on terror is smoke and mirrors. It's something totally created. And, of course, the FBI finds certain um, people who don't have money or developmentally disabled, and they actually create many of these incidents. Can you elaborate on how the FBI, and on what basis can they do that? I mean, it would seem to me to be obviously entrapment and illegal and lawful and immoral. Well, you know, I always thought that entrapment was illegal, but maybe not anymore, uh, at least if you're Muslim, because since 9-11, virtually every Muslim, so-called Muslim terrorist plot in the U.S. has actually been an FBI terrorist plot, which means that the only real Islamic terrorist group in the U.S. today is the FBI. Mm. You know, they go, mm. what they do is they, yeah, as you said, they find poor people or naive, young uh, people, gullible people in Islamic communities, and they try to talk them into joining some FBI terror plot. And if they can get anybody to join their plot, then they arrest that person and put them on trial and lock them up. <laughs> and yet it was the FBI that came up with the plot. We've seen this pattern over and over and over. One of the most notorious was the case of the uh, people in Florida who were given over $50,000 in cash by an FBI informant, uh, and they were you know, supposedly going to join a plot to attack the Sears Tower in Chicago. But this was all happening in Florida, and these people were just basically street people. They weren't terrorists. They, they had no capability for organizing a, you know, an attack on the, on the nearest you know, garbage can. I mean, they were completely uh, homeless and, and helpless. And, and so some guy says, here's $50,000. Uh, will you go buy some boots and, and, you know, so we can blow up Sears Tower in Chicago? And, you know, guess what? Uh, there are people on the street who will take $50,000 if you hand it to them. <laughs> So, so they couldn't get a conviction the first time, and, and the case, they had a hung jury, and they had to retry. I think they retried it twice, actually, before they were finally mm -hmm. able to get a conviction. So now we, we have, you know, entrapment is okay, double jeopardy is okay, triple jeopardy is okay. Like the whole mm -hmm. legal system has been thrown out. I mean, it never was all that great to begin with at protecting powerless people, but it's uh, it's really gone by the wayside completely now. Mm -hmm. uh, Professor uh, Kevin, what if anything, in terms of your research or readings, have you seen regarding the depleted uranium being used in Iraq? Well, apparently there was a whole lot used. The expert on that subject is Major Doug Rocky, R-O-K-K-E. Uh, he is the former head of the depleted uranium cleanup project for Iraq after Gulf War One. And Doug Rocky was sent over there. He's a, he's a Ph.D. and he was he was sent over there to uh, supervise a DU cleanup. And he quickly discovered that there wasn't going to be any cleanup. There, there was too much of this stuff, and it was everywhere. And everybody had been poisoned by it, including the American soldiers, who were also poisoned by other things as well. And he ended up kind of throwing up his hands. Uh, you know, he's, he's, he knew, he knew they weren't going to give him the kinds of resources that could even make a dent in the problem. And so he ended up. Uh, being a whistleblower, and uh, he's talked about how today the number of casualties from Gulf War One, which happened back in 1990, is just off the charts. And I forget, like something about half the people that were over there, you know, dead or massively disabled. 
Uh, and DU is one of the big reasons. And, and they use this DU in munitions. They say that the reason they use it is that it hardens their munitions so it can pierce tanks and things like that. Uh, but uh, at the price of poisoning the land for a very, very, very long time, uh, and there are now all kinds of babies being born with birth defects in Iraq. Uh, there are parts of Iraq that are probably going to be uh, uninhabitable for uh, for a very long time as generations discover that they can't have babies in those areas. Uh, so this is a real crime against humanity, and um, it's it's going to come back to bite us. You know, these things, these kinds of actions uh, are noted by by people around the world, and you just can't imagine that it's it's going to lead to anything good. You know, I, I just don't know what's going through the minds of the people who are doing these things. So this is Major Doug. Uh, Doug Rocky. Yeah, his name is spelled uh, R-O-K-K-E. Okay. And if you, you look for him in the search engine, you'll find a lot of information about DU. Wow. Okay. Very that good. situation also goes for the white phosphorus used in Fallujah. I saw recently some uh, pictures that were horrific, babies born with a cyclop eye in the middle of the forehead and th things that are almost unimaginable. Do you know anything about that, Kevin? Yeah, yeah. Fallujah took uh, a lot of experimental weaponry, uh, and apparently, yeah, there was white phosphorus, there was the DU, uh, and, and we don't know what else. There have been rumors about some experimental weapons. Uh, there was There were eyewitness reports of a bus full of people being shrunken by something, <laughs> some kind of energy oh, weapon. Oh, wow. uh, so, and, and then there are reports that there were actual uh, nuclear bombs hmm. that were used as well. You know, today, the you know it's, it's classified, I guess. The details are classified, but reports have it that there are miniature nuclear weapons around. Uh, well, we know that there were nuclear weapons that could be carried in soldiers' backpacks during uh, the Cold War in the 1970s and 80s, American soldiers were going to have these backpackable nuclear weapons. Uh, and so I'm told that today there are these miniature nuclear weapons that can be dialed, uh, so you can dial them down to the size of a car bomb, or you can dial them up to the size of 100 Hiroshima's. And it's very tempting to use these weapons because, well, for one thing, military likes to use what it's got, but it's also just a really uh, cheap means of explosive power, it's, and it's very practical. You know, you don't have to haul huge piles of explosives to get a big bang. And so there are a lot of reports that these uh, miniature nuclear weapons have been used in Iraq. Uh, and the combination of the DU, the white phosphorus, and the probable use of miniature nuclear weapons uh, have combined, and along with other things perhaps as well, to uh, create a very toxic landscape. And Fallujah seems to have taken it almost worse than any other city. Hmm. Well, the um, hmm, is truthjihad.com, and um, this is really, well, Acts of State, the book Acts of State deals with the assassination of Martin Luther King. That's right. That's that's a must-read book. Every American needs to read this book. You know, every year when Martin Luther King Day comes around, uh, I just get so frustrated at the way the mainstream media you know, tries to put out this sort of sanitized version of Dr. King, who was a real hero. He, he stood up against the war in the last year of his life, 
and he stood up and said he was going to lead a march to Washington, D.C., and he was going to bring a half a million people to Washington, D.C., and not go home until the problem of poverty was solved and until the war in Vietnam was ended. And I think that was the main reason that was cited uh, by the people who've actually confessed to organizing this assassination. William Pepper, the attorney for the King family, has spoken to a U.S. Army colonel who was uh, instrumental in organizing this assassination. And this colonel and other military people involved in the assassination explained to Dr. William Pepper that the reason they did this was that Dr. King had such a powerful, charismatic effect uh, on Americans, especially in the African-American community. He was uniting this coalition, including people from around the world, with uh, Americans, especially poor Americans, including a lot of uh, white Americans, and that this coalition was uh, an actionable threat to the empire, especially if he succeeded in getting half a million people to D.C. who weren't going to go home. So they explained that they felt they had to do it. Uh, and, you know, it, it's so frustrating. Every year, the media ignores the fact that Dr. William Pepper, the King family lawyer, won a jury verdict after proving that this is what happened. But they just don't want us to know that, I guess. And I can see why. You know, it's 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 just denial. People, you know, realizing how bad your own government is is a tough thing. Uh, and feeling like you need to do something about it once you learn about it is is a tough burden to carry. And so, a lot, you know, we're all kind of guilty one way or another of this kind of denial. But one of these days we're going to have to wake up and end the denial and try and fix our country. What is going on in Myanmar? I noticed you have a piece called West Will Never Pressure Myanmar Over Muslim Genocide. Uh, we're not hearing too much about that on the uh lamestream, prostitute, corporate media. Would you tell us what's go, go, go going on uh, there somewhat, please? Yeah, you know, that's another scandal that we're not hearing about that because our own government and our financial powers that be have just run all over to Myanmar to support that government. And they're running over there and supporting that government and investing American money and linking up military power and moving, you know, the intelligence people over there. They're basically setting Myanmar up right now as a counterweight to China. They've, you know, Myanmar has a connection with China. They trade with China heavily. And so they're they're trying to pull Myanmar out of the Chinese orbit and into the American geostrategic orbit. Now, the problem is that right when they decided to do this, starting about two years ago, uh, that's when this anti-Muslim kind of genocidal uh, fury started to, to arise. These extremist uh, kind of Buddhist, um, you know, I don't know what you want to call them. They're, a lot of these people uh, leading these genocidal uh, purges of the Muslims, the Rohingya Muslims in Myanmar, are actually Buddhist monks. Uh, it seems to be, a, you know, one of these ethnic conflicts that are pretty common in various parts of the world, but this one is spinning out of control as the Rohingya people of Myanmar are being driven out of their homes, they're having their homes burned down, their mosques are being burned down, uh, many of them are being killed, uh, a whole lot of them, I forget, uh, hundreds of thousands now, I think, are refugees, many in refugee camps. And the official position of the government of Myanmar is that these Rohingya people have no citizenship. They aren't supposed to be there. The government's official position is that they have to be ejected from the country. 
And this is ridiculous. All of these people, virtually all of them were born there. They're not illegal immigrants or anything like that. Uh, most of them have been there for many generations. But these uh, kind of ethnic cleansing purists in Myanmar have this mythology that they came, you know, even if it was 200 years ago, you know, when they were 100 years ago, you know, their ancestors came to Myanmar from somewhere else and they don't belong here and they're not the right religion, so they, we have to get rid of them. And, you know, it's, it's a lot like what, what Hitler and the Nazis did with uh, Jews and uh, gypsies. It's a lot like what the Israelis have done with Palestinians and, and non-Jewish people. Uh, it's what South Africans were doing to the black native peoples for so long until finally uh, that situation got at least partly solved. Uh, it's it's one of those kinds of uh, situations. The problem, of course, is the Rohingya Muslims in, in Myanmar are pretty powerless, and now the U.S. empire is totally on the side of the persecutors, and for that reason, the big human rights organizations that get their money from the same usual suspects, the Soros people, the, you know, the big New World Order financiers, are not making much of a stink about it. Uh, so it's another of these tragedies, and, you know, let's let's hope that some of these folks will decide to do the right thing and, and stop this before it becomes a complete and total genocide. Professor Barrett, uh, talk about the strategic role that non-governmental organizations, how they're used in the so-called third world. Uh, that's a very good question. It's, uh, you know, a whole new kind of soft power has arisen in the past uh, couple of decades. And they're using these NGOs or non-governmental organizations to attack the governments around the world that will not play ball with the empire. Uh, and the way this works is they often will create a, a color revolution, like the Orange Revolution in Ukraine was used to overthrow a uh, pro-Russian government and install a pro-U.S., pro-Israel government in its place. And the way they do that is they have this very powerful psychological manipulation technique where they use propaganda against their targets, like you know the, the pro-Russian president, uh, and they uh, organize people. They pay a lot of people. They, you know, they pay people money. They train them uh, as propaganda people. And using the Internet and other means, they rally a whole bunch of gullible young people usually to go out in the street and demonstrate and... They, they have a whole system for uh, using this kind of means to overthrow governments. And they've targeted many, many governments with these so-called color revolutions. Uh, some of them have succeeded, although many of them only succeeded for a while. You know, another one recently was in uh, Malaysia. They almost managed to install a uh, sort of Israeli puppet as president of Malaysia, uh, but they didn't quite make it. You may recall they tried to destabilize Iran with the so-called Green Revolution, you know, protesting non-existent election fraud. Iran's elections are actually a lot more uh, honest than American elections. In, in Iran, they hand-cut all the votes with pa paper ballots, and nobody is questioning how they count them. You know, the, the, if you actually look at the details of what they were claiming uh, happened in Iran with the election fraud, it's nothing. It's, it's complete garbage. They have no case. Uh, Flint and Hillary Leverett, who are two former very high U.S. officials who have resigned in disgust, uh, have talked about this in their book, Going to Tehran. Um, so, so basically what these NGOs do is they take a whole lot of money and they throw a whole lot of money at attacking their political enemies and installing uh, pliable client regimes in these countries so they can loot their resources. And it's happening uh, all over the world. 
Soros is a master of this, and these other extremely wealthy sort of bankster financier types, international finance types who are building what they hope will be the first completely global empire and also the first empire that will be created with money rather than just weapons. Uh, you know, these people are, are, are hoping that they can uh, install faithful puppets everywhere in the world and sort of pull it together into a one-world government. Uh, but I don't think they're doing too well right now. Um, you know, there's a lot of uh, a lot of pushback coming from people who want to maintain their autonomy and their dignity, uh, and uh, it's it's happening everywhere, including here in the U.S. I think the internet is waking people up to this. Uh, it's becoming easier to awaken people than to hypnotize them <laughs> using the internet. Uh, so it, it's going to be a very interesting next decade or two as as we see whether this push to create the new world order by the financiers who run the U.S. empire is, is going to succeed or not. Hmm. Um, I want you to uh, share with us, because when you were with um, Joyce Riley on the Power Hour, someone emailed her and they asked that question that usually comes from the uh, so-called right, the right wing of this country, and that is, is Obama a Muslim? Uh, share with us your, your response to that. Well, as I told Joyce, uh, that would be great. If Obama were a Muslim, that would solve a lot of problems. Uh, a good Muslim. <laughs> you know, because if you're a good Muslim, you're praying five times a day, you're humbling yourself before God, you're putting your forehead on the floor in an act of complete submission to God. And if you're doing that, and you mean it, you're not going to be doing bad things. You know, you're going to be more like Jimmy Carter. You know, Jimmy Carter was actually a pretty moral guy. He did a lot of bad things, but it's, he didn't try to. <laughs> uh, and, and he was a true Christian. Uh, and likewise, if Obama were a true Muslim, I think we'd be in great shape. Our country would be uh, on the road to being fixed. Unfortunately, though, uh, Obama is not a Muslim. Obama is a tool of the New World Order, which is the big enemy of Islam, and it's the enemy of Christianity as well. These are people who are spin-offs from the Freemasons, who want to destroy all the traditional religions and build the first world order based on, uh, not, on no religion. Uh, that's why you know, they call it the New World Order. And the other reason is that it's the first world order that would be based in the so-called New World, which is the Americas. This is a plan that's been going back to the Freemasonry of the 18th century, got financed by the Rothschilds, the world's wealthiest family, uh, reputed to be worth over $100 trillion, which is like uh, almost a decade's worth of the entire gross national product of the USA. Uh, these incredibly wealthy financiers uh, are pushing this move to build a bankster empire, uh, and they're fanatically anti-religious. You know, I think one of the reasons they did 9-11 was to pit the Muslims against the Christians and have both sides fight it out and destroy each other, and then they could sweep up the pieces and create their anti-religious or, or non-religious empire. So if Obama really were a good Muslim, uh, he would oppose that, and he would be making decisions based on morality and ethics, uh, trying to do what's right. But unfortunately, uh, I don't think that's the case. He's, he's a pragmatic power broker. I don't think he's actually very religious at all, and I think he's just working for the, uh, for the empire. Mm-hmm. And if you would um, give us a capitalized version of um, uh, Al Qaeda, Al Qaeda, and Israel ties that are out in the open now, according to a recent post on your on your uh, on your site. Well, that's referring to the recent Israeli bombing of 
Damascus, Syria. The Israelis just bombed Syria with these huge bombs. There are even discussions about whether these bombs might have been nuclear because they're so big. Uh, they look the explosions look like they're bigger than the biggest conventional bunker buster bombs. Uh, so Israel just intervened in a huge way and basically declared war on Syria. Uh, and bombed just bombed Damascus to smithereens. And this is kind of interesting because what's happening in Syria is that Al Qaeda is fighting the Syrian government, and so Israel is intervening on the side of Al Qaeda. Uh, mm. How does that work? Well, <laughs> Al Qaeda, as we know, is Al Qaeda. It's this database of CIA-linked mercenaries. And those guys, as I said, have been tool of the empire forever. They stage, you know, bombings and, and quote unquote terrorist attacks, or they they take the blame for false flag attacks uh, designed to further the empire. So they're undermining this government of Syria because the government of Syria is part of the axis of resistance. It's been resisting Zionism. It's been in, insisting on trying to remain a free and independent country, just like Iran is, just like Russia is, like China is. Uh, some of the BRIC countries, these these folks don't want to be part of this new world order empire. And so Syria has been on the target list of the masters of this Zionist new world order empire forever. And they were able to use partly these NGO color revolution means to start protests in Syria. And then they sent in their mercenaries, these so-called Al-Qaeda people, to terrorize Syria and try and take it down. And now Israel, because they're losing, Israel has to come in and bomb Syria to support this al-Qaeda movement. So what we're really seeing is that al-Qaeda is operating as an arm of Israel, or Israel's operating as an arm of al-Qaeda. Together, what they're trying to do is remake the Middle East so it will be safe for Israel, so Israel can keep expanding and eventually take everything from the Nile to the Euphrates, so that the Middle East will be dominated by this empire and you know we talk about american empire but in a sense it's really a kind of a, a bankster empire and these banksters well some say they're based in london some say new york some say tel aviv uh but i think it's they're no longer associated with a particular place they're a financial power that is a web that's wrapping itself around the entire globe uh and and this fight in syria is about those folks trying to get rid of a thorn in their side which is the independent country of syria and once they try to get rid of Syria, once if they ever succeed, God forbid, then they'll go after Iran. And one by one, they're trying to knock off all of the people, all of the countries that don't want to be dominated by this empire. Uh, and mm-hmm. al-Qaeda is their tool. So ultimately, you know, Israel and al-Qaeda are working together. They're part of the same big bankster empire. Uh, and they, it's, this has come right out into the open now as Israel bombs Syria to help al-Qaeda. Professor Barrett, in terms of one of the concluding areas in the conversation that we had with James Fitzer, I brought up the subject of anti-Semitism, and he indicated, I'm almost certain, that you had written an article or articles on that particular charge being made against individuals who seek to bring out information that may include or involve Israel. And the the political arm called Zionism and cloak that as anti-Semitism on the part of those individuals who either bringing it out or may have programs in which that information is conveyed. 
Well, that's right. That's one of the ways that they try to limit people's effectiveness is by calling them names. And one of their favorite names to call you is anti-Semite. And this comes with the territory uh, for anybody who questions the policies of the Israeli government. Even people who just question those policies in a pretty weak way get called anti-Semites. Jimmy Carter, for example, the former president, published a book, uh, Peace Not Apartheid, and immediately was vilified as an anti-Semite. So it's really impossible to tell the truth about what's happening in the Middle East uh, without exposing yourself to these charges of so-called anti-Semitism. Because the fact is that the Israelis are doing really bad things. I mean, it's and it's not just that they're a bad government. All that's part of it. They're run by uh, extremist fanatics and criminals who have no compunction about what means they use, uh, including all kinds of false flags. They they murder children, innocent children, as a matter of national policy. Uh, the British Medical Journal found that uh, over 600 children during the period they studied had been assassinated by Israeli snipers. Uh, children posing no threat at all on schoolyards, playgrounds, sidewalks. They just shoot down kids. And Chris Hedges actually witnessed Israeli snipers luring children within the sight of their guns and shooting them for sport. Now, this, So this happens many, many hundreds or thousands of times. Uh, thousands of children are being shot down as a matter of policy. Uh, they're shot for sport by the Israeli army. And they can't do anything about it. None of these people are ever prosecuted. So uh, it, it's a really ugly government. I mean, this is the least of it. I could go on and on and on about the, the terrible things that the Israeli government does. But the reason it does them is that Israel itself is essentially a big genocide project. I mean, what they're doing is trying to create an ethnically Jewish state uh, in Palestine. And to do that, they have to get rid of all of the indigenous Palestinian people and create an apartheid system where uh Jews are first-class citizens and everybody else is a second-class citizen or an ethnic cleansing victim pushed into a concentration camp somewhere. You know, Gaza is just the world's biggest open-air concentration camp. So this whole project is deeply flawed, and it's naturally led to these gangsters and really vicious, amoral criminals dominating this settler colonial government. You know, It's a little bit like these other settler colonies, French Algeria, uh, Africaner, South Africa, but it's a lot worse. Uh, and uh, if you tell the truth about this, of course you're going to be vilified as an anti-Semite because the propaganda apparatus is trying to convince you that Israel is the only democracy in the Middle East and they're such mm. wonderful people and they're always victims, they're always innocent victims. Uh, mm. And telling the truth is so at odds with that that uh, they, they, they shoot you down by calling you names. Uh, very quickly mm. before we conclude, and that is what, and, and if you do know anything, you have to give it within a minute and a half, the sterilization of the Ethiopian Palashas, the uh, uh, Ethiopian Jews who were brought in from Ethiopia, either uh, under, the, under the guise of uh, making them use uh, various contraceptive, Depo-Provera, et cetera. What, if anything, have you seen on that? You know, I, I haven't investigated that closely, but yes, I've heard that this is the case, and it fits with what the Israeli government has done in the past. Uh, these Ethiopian Jews uh, apparently were sterilized uh, when they were brought to Israel as part of this racist policy by an openly racist government that is trying to control their 
whatever their genetic footprint or something. You know, they've and they've done all kinds of things like this in the past. When they brought in the Sephardic Jews from Morocco and other parts of the Arab world, these Arabic Jews or Arabs, they're Arabs of the Jewish faith. They brought those people to Israel and they tested uh, them uh, under radiation. They gave them horrible, massive doses of radiation. They're, all their hair fell out. You know, they many of them died. They ended up getting cancer over the years. Uh, horrible radiation experiments that were apparently conducted for the U.S. by the Israelis on these Sephardic Jews. And the European Jews, the Ashkenazi Jews who did this, uh, apparently considered the Sephardic Jews as an inferior race. And they looked that way on everybody, apparently, including uh, Ethiop especially Ethiopians. Uh, so it's, it's just a profoundly racist society in some ways, as I said, uh, even worse than South Africa was. But fortunately, the world is waking up in the same way the world woke up to what was going on in South Africa. Uh, Stephen Hawking is just the latest uh, to famous figure to stand up and, and boycott Israel. So I think that the world is starting to wake up on these matters, but in the meantime, those of us telling the truth are going to have to take a lot of insults uh, before we win the battle. Well, on that, we are concluding. I want to thank Sister Maad for inviting you and Professor Fitzer on this evening, a wealth of information and insights that we've gained here on the Keys 107 Network, the Communicator Respectful Life portion of the Keys 107 Network, and uh, Dr. Kevin Barrett, want to thank you. May God continue to bless and keep you and your family well. Much success, and thank you for sharing. Thank you for your work before you came on this program, during this program, and into the future. Well, thank you so much, and God bless you too, uh, Leroy and Sister Ma. Keep up the, the good work. All right, and thank you. Have a good evening. And ladies and gentlemen, in the audience, I want to thank you for your support of the Keys 107 Network. Check our schedule of programming. The communicators will be on again, the good Lord willing, this Saturday, this Saturday at 8 p.m., 8 p.m. Eastern Time, right after Minister Farrakhan is on NOI.org with the time and what must be done. That's a program that goes from 7 until 8. After that, switch to... The Keys 107 Network for the communicators. We continue our series of Gifted and Talented for All. This is for guardians and parents who have children who may have been eliminated from gifted and talented programs. We're exploring how each and every child is gifted and talented, and we bring proof to the front for that. We want to thank our engineers, Brother James, Sister Rafika, and others who make this program possible God bless you all with a beautiful and a successful evening and a beautiful week. Thank you, Sister Ma. Peace. Peace. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.